Revelation chapter number 6. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 8. And what we are, where we are here in Scripture is we are here in the tribulation, the beginning of the tribulation period, a seven-year period in which God will unleash His wrath on an unbelieving world. Revelation chapter number 6. Let's begin reading in verse number 1. <clears throat> this is the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos, and he's seeing the revelation the word revelation is where we get the word apocalypse from, which means an unveiling. In the Old Testament, the Lord Jesus was veiled. He was behind the veil, but God's not keeping anything from us because in the book of the Revelation, it is the word apocalyptus, where we get the word apocalypse, which means an unveiling. And so God's not leaving us in the dark when it comes to the things that are to happen in the future. Verse number one, John on the Isle of Patmos writes as his uh, first, his personal uh, vision and what he's seen and what the Lord allowed him to see. He says, and I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals and I heard as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, come and see. And what we talked about last week, this is a releasing. When he says come, he's releasing the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And John says in verse 2, And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Let's stop right there for just a minute. We'll pick up some other verses. Let me give you just a brief introduction to tell you where, where we are. We are, this is the first sequence of judgments that God is releasing on an unbelieving world, which we call the sealed judgments. Remember there was that sealed scroll, the parchment, which was taken from God, the hand of God the Father, the right hand, which was given unto the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the only one who was worthy to open the seals and to peel back those seven seals off that document, which each Healing of each seal releases a judgment, what we call the, the seven seal judgments. Those seven seal judgments are in sequence, sequential, one after the other, only to be followed by more intense judgments, which will be the trumpet judgments, seven of those, and then seven vile or bowl judgments. Out of the seven seal judgments, four of those release a horse, okay? They are known as, and that's what I'm preaching on to you this morning, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Of course, this is part two. Four of seven out of these seven seals makes up 57, almost 60% of the seal judgments. The seal judgments initiate that seven-year tribulation period and introduce a series sequentially of judgments of each introducing the next series we talked about those trumpets and then bowl judgments. So seven seals extend for that seven-year tribulation period. They cover about the first quarter of that tribulation period. So when we're thinking about these seven seals, we're thinking about the first quarter of the seven years of the tribulation period. And we talked about that white horse. The first one that is released, He let me point out three things about that. We're going to move on to the next one. With that white horse, he comes out in verse number two and is released by one of the four beasts, which is one of the four living creatures that surround the throne of God. Each of these beasts or living creatures will release one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The first one, riding a white horse, 
which is in comparison to the Lord Jesus coming back in Revelation 19 when he rides a white horse. The rider of the white horse is not Jesus Christ. We know that for several reasons. Number one, Satan, the devil, old Slewfoot, the accuser of the brethren, is an imitator. He is an imitator of the Lord Jesus. I might have to go back there and turn on the pulpit mic. It just went dead on me. So you have the, the white horses. The white horse has been released, and he, it's in comparison to the Lord Jesus Christ that comes back in Revelation chapter number 19. All right, so you have that first one, that white horse. The next one is that he has a bow. And on that bow, you notice it has no arrows. Yeah, there we go. It has no arrows. I'll just stand right here if that's okay. It has no arrows. That bow has no arrows. And what that shows is that he's going to come forth conquering and to conquer, and he's not going to do it through war initially. He's going to have that bow, and he's going to overtake the world through lies, through deception, but not through war. The next one is that it says the crown was given unto him. He's going to rise that the Antichrist, which is Satan's Superman, and he's going to rise to the occasion and, and, be, and come on the platform of the world stage. He's going to be a political genius. He is going to be smooth. He's going to be a great orator. He is going to be a good spokesman. And people will swoon to him and go to him and marvel at him, and he will come talking peace. And by talking that peace, this world, folks, is looking, and as the stage is already being set, already, for peace in the world. Now, there'll be no peace until the Prince of Peace comes. There will be no true peace. Now, the Bible says, in talking about the last days, that things shall wax worse and worse. And so we're not looking for things to get better. In fact, things will get worse before they get better. So that first horse is released is the Antichrist. He comes imitating the Lord Jesus. He comes imitating. He is a great counterfeiter. And he initiates. Now the next three horses I want you to notice is that these are things that follow the Antichrist. These are three horses or three things that are going to follow the release of the Antichrist. That's another reason that I know that the rider of the white horse is not Jesus Christ. Because what's going to follow here is war, death, and hell, and destruction. And let me tell you something about Christ. Those things don't follow Him. So let's look at the second one. The red horse rider. Look at Revelation chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. Or verse, it should be verses uh, 3 and 4. The Bible says, And when he had opened the second seal, the he being the Lord Jesus, had opened the second seal, it says, I heard the second beast, the second living creature, say, Come and see, which is a release of the second horseman of the apocalypse. And there went out another horse, this one not white, the Bible says it was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. So let's talk about that second horse rider, 
which is re a release of that seal. It says here that the red horse symbolizes something that we all can... Now, see, the book of Revelation is full of, full of symbolism. Now, when we take it literally, in, and if it's given to us literally, we take God's word literally... And so what do you say, what does the color red represent? Well, it represents red. And when we think about red, we think about how it symbolizes the blood and how it symbolizes bloodshed and war. So what's coming after the Antichrist? It shall be followed with bloodshed and shall be followed by war. What's happened is, if you study the Old Testament book of Daniel, and what it teaches about the little horn of Daniel, referring to the Antichrist, is that he will come with, and he will come with flatteries. All right, he'll be very deceptive. In fact, the Antichrist will be the greatest lie that's ever been told to mankind. He will come promising and talking of peace. And that's what the world wants today. They want peace in the Middle East. They want peace in the world today. But what will happen is he will, do, he will have a treaty with Israel, an agreement with the nation of Israel. And what he will do is he will keep that for three and a half years. He will keep that promise for three and a half years. In the midst of the tribulation period, which will be a period of three and a half years, because if we take seven years, we divide by, by two, we get three and a half segments. One, the first three and a half years being what we call the tribulation and then the last three and a half years after he breaks a treaty with Israel will be what we call the abomination of desolation or the great tribulation or the time of Jacob's trouble when the tribulation period intensifies during that time. Now, in the midst of, Daniel says, in the 70th week, in the midst of the week, the, the three and a half years, the Antichrist will break his treaty with Israel. Now, wait a minute. He came and He promised peace, He promised prosperity, He promised what the world wants today, peace, but He breaks His promise. Why? Because He is, he is part of the Satanic Trinity. He is the devil incarnate. He is the Antichrist. He does not have the ability to tell the truth. Folks, Satan is so perverted and so twisted and so diabolical he does not have the ability to tell the truth. Amen. He is the father of lies. You cannot believe what the devil is saying. How do I know the devil's lying if he's talking? Because he is a liar and the father of it. So he promises peace and he breaks that treaty with Israel. In fact, this coincides with Matthew 24 verses 6 and 7. I want you in your mind, when you think about Revelation chapter number 6 and those four horsemen of the apocalypse, I want you to think of that in comparison to the Mount Olivet Discourse given by the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter number 24. They coincide with each other. And what he says there in verses 6 and 7, I'll read that to you. He says, And ye shall hear of wars... And rumors of wars, see that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. 
When the Lord Jesus is talking about the Mount Olivet Discourse, He's not referring to the rapture of the church when we're called away with the trumpet of God, the voice of the archangel. He's talking about the second advent of Christ when He comes back at the end of the tribulation period riding a white horse. So if we're seeing wars and rumors of wars now, and we know there has to be a seven-year tribulation period before the Lord comes back on that white horse and we come back with Him if we're part of the church, then how close really are we when you think about it in that light? Nations going to rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. 1 Thessalonians 5.3 warns us, Paul says, For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. Next is with red. Red is in comparison to two other things in the book of the Revelation. Number one, we have the red horse, which coincides with Revelation chapter number uh, 12, 13, when it talks about the em emergence of the red dragon, which is Antichrist. And then in Revelation chapter number 17, we have the red beast. The next thing I want you to notice with this is it says power was given unto him that sat. So there's going to be some authority, there's going to be some power that is going to be given to the rider of the red horse. And the word power there means to furnish or to, in, to endue. So he's going to be given certain rights or privileges when he rides here. And the right and privilege that he has that he will take away, and it tells us in verse number 4, he has the powers been given unto him thereon to do what? Take peace from the earth. He is going to remove peace that's been promised by Antichrist totally from the earth. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 57 verse 21, There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. <laughs> Folks, there the Bible talks about a peace that passeth all understanding. That is a peace that the Prince of Peace can only give. That's a peace you can lay your head down at night. No one, don't have to worry about the economy. Don't have to worry about wars. Don't have to worry if you used to die during the night. A peace knowing that you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And if anything was to happen, that at the end of the day, everything's going to be all right. I don't go around worrying if the Antichrist is alive today. I don't go around as a child of God worrying about is the tribulation period initiated. I don't go around worrying about being under the judgment or wrath of God during the seven seals or the seven trumpets or the seven vials or the seven personages or anything else that I read about in the book of the Revelation. I don't worry about later at the battle of Armageddon when it says for 200 miles there will be such bloodshed that, there will, that the blood will be up to the horse's bridle for 200 miles. I don't worry about that because I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for Christ. I'm looking for Jesus to come back in the way of the air to escape the great tribulation period. I don't go worrying about that. And by the way, you don't have to either. Because we have the peace of God. The Bible says He has delivered us from all wrath. We're not going through the tribulation period. You, I know there are some that hold the position that they don't believe in a rapture and that they'd go through the tribulation period, and that is a position that some take. 
But remember that the tri what is the tribulation period? It is a seven-year tribulation period in which God pours out His wrath on an unbelieving world. I'm not an unbeliever. I am a believer. There will be many people saved during the tribulation period. As you see later in chapter, later in chapter 6, there's 144,000, unnumerable multitude of people that are saved. But in the tribulation period, if you are saved during that time, what you will have to do is the Bible says, He that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. Not saying you've got to keep your salvation and work for your salvation, but what it's saying is you will be put to death because you will have to take on the, have to reject the mark of the beast, the mark of the Antichrist, which is the number 666, the number of man, the number six, the number of man, man is imperfect, number seven, the number of completion. And if you reject that, you will be beheaded and you will become a martyr for the faith during that time. And I'm going to tell you something. You won't live for God now. What makes you think you're going to live for God then? Hello. Don't, talk, don't come in here all big and bad and say, Oh, preacher, let me tell you, Pastor, I'm going to get in the tribulation period. I'm going to be big and bad. And I'm going to point my finger in the face of the Antichrist and all the enemies of the world. And I'll just say, I'm not taking the mark of the beast. Well, let me tell you something. During the tribulation period, you won't be able to buy, sell, or trade if you don't take the mark of the beast. So let me tell you, we whine, let, me, let me go out on a limb on this one. We whine and complain if the preacher goes too long and we don't get to the restaurant on time and our belly starts growling. And you're here to tell me you're going to be big and bad in the tribulation period. You're not that big and bad. You're not that strong. Oh, preacher, I missed breakfast this morning. Oh, I'm so sorry. We got it hard and rough, and I didn't have my bagel, my donut, didn't have a bowl of cereal, oatmeal. Oh, I tell you what, I, I, I can't hardly make it. I can't hardly make it. How am I doing? Woo, I didn't plan to ride out there, but it sure was good. All right, let me tell you, people are like, oh, I'm, I'm face, I can face God. Let me tell you something. You can't face a thrice holy God. You say, well, I'll, I'll talk to him in the judgment. No, you won't, because the Bible says his voice is the sound of many waters. Won't you go up before all that happens, go up to Niagara Falls, and with all the noise and sound of those falls, and stand at the bottom and the foot of that and argue with that, because it's going to be a little bit in comparison to arguing with God, the red horse rider. So we see he's ready, he's going to take peace, and he's going to take peace that what should happen, that they should kill one another. Kill, did you hear what I say? One another. You know what that word kill, should kill, means to slay, to slaughter, to butcher. We've seen it before in even American history, the Civil War, brother rising against brother. We had the North and the South. And we've seen that Civil War and we've seen that war against families and against lands and against ideologies during that time and that's what's going to happen when he removes the peace from the earth there will be this slay, this slaughter, this butcher. Now the Bible says here that this red horse rider was given a great sword. A great sword. Now this sword sometimes speaks of a sword drawn, a sword that we see but really here the Greek word gives us the idea that it is a hidden weapon. It is the kind of weapon that could be hidden, concealed beneath a coat. 
It was a kind of knife with which to cut the throat of an animal or a man. So you get the idea of a swiftness, of an underhandedness, of a deception uh, during that time. Uh, so there is a, a terrible slaughter uh, of class, fighting class, party against party in a, in a, as in a civil war. Man uh, wrestling with man, nation against nation. Inter we're talking about internal strife, religious wars, class wars would be uh, race or when it comes to economics. Civil wars, the breaking up of the establishment of order is set forth here. So you get the idea of just commotion and the idea of chaos and anarchy and people turning against each other and those who have different ideas and uh, different backgrounds and different ethnicities arguing and killing one another is the idea there. Now they'll be given four weapons uh, to the, the next one that I want you to look at. Let's look at the next rider which is the pale horse rider. The pale or excuse me the black horse. The black horse. If you look at verse number 5, it says, And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. So we have a black horse rider. Let's look at that. Black is the color scheme of famine, the shortage of food, uh, the shortage of foodstuffs. The Bible says, and the Lord Jesus said in his Mount Olivet Discourse in comparison, said Matthew 24, 7, he said, and there shall be in that time famines, famines, shortage of food. Now black correlates with famine. You can write down a couple references, Lamentations ver, uh, chapter 5, verse number 10, he talked about our skin was black like an oven because of the terrible famine, the shortage of food. Jeremiah 14, verses 1 and 2 says, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah concerning the darth, which is a famine, shortage of food. Judah mourneth, and the gates thereof languish, and they are black unto the ground, and the cry of Jerusalem is gone up. Now, as he's riding this white horse and he's released out, he has in his hand not a sword, not a bow, but a pair of balances. I want you to think about a courtroom. I want you to think about justice. I want you to think about that weighing out and that balancing of the law as he has that um, a scales in his hand. Okay, He has a pair of balances, a pair of scales that balance things out in his hand. Now what does that mean? What that means is that something is getting ready to be measured out, something is getting ready to be rationed out, and it speaks of a shortage where everything has to be weighed. Now, we've seen a little bit of that, not in maybe so much in recent American history. Back there in the, the late 70s, early 80s, the shortage of fuel and the rationing of fuel. We see a little hiccups throughout American history, but never a famine, never one that's been seen as of yet at this time. So something's getting ready to be weighed. See, when you have... The Antichrist comes out, he breaks peace. What follows him is war. And with war, when you have all able-bodied men or ladies that are drafted to war during that time, no one is left to sow and harvest the crops. Then guess what comes? Famine. Famine. 
You know, for example, back in World War II in Berlin, when they were overtaken and we won the war over Germany and the Nazis, and when they totally decimated Germany, one of the sad things that happened there, and what's sad about when you lose a war is you become occupied by a foreign power. America stepped back and Russia took over. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Hitler killed a lot of people, but I'll tell you who a savage was, was Joseph Stalin. He was a terrible dictator. Killed millions of people and had them put to death, and they overtook Berlin. Let me tell you something. You're talking about rape. You're talking about shortage and famines and violence and hatred and all those things during that time that, in fact, they were still building Berlin back back in the mid-'80s. Do you hear what I said? War II ended in 1945, and they're still re, were rebuilding Berlin in the 1980s, the mid-1980s. So we can see a little bit of that, what the, the effects of war that they, that has. Now he says here in verse number 6, And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Let's see what that's talking about. He uses the word measure. A measure is a quart, okay? You got a gat one, in one gallon, you have four quarts, and in each quart, you have two pints. So you have one quart, which is, we say, two pints of what? Uh, measures of wheat, and then, uh, then it says three measures of barley. But let's stop right there at the wheat, okay? One quart of wheat. Now, this gives us a comparison of uh, some time periods. We would have to allow for inflation in the time in which we live now. But in this time when John is writing the Revelation, that one quart of wheat, a quart, okay, like a quart jar, a quart of wheat was the equivalent of a daily ration of a slave. Not someone who is affluent, not someone who has... Not middle class, but a quart of wheat, quart jar of wheat if you would, would be the equivalent of one day's ration for a slave. I did not say a slave and his spouse. I did not say, a slave, I did not say an individual and his wife and his three kids or one kid or two grandchildren. No, one quart of wheat. Nothing else. I mean, you can't eat wheat. You've got to cook it somehow and have some other materials available. One quart of wheat it will be uh, allowing for inflation will cost a penny. You say, well, I can afford that. No, wait a minute. We've got to bring it up to in, in modern inflation. In other words, what they're saying is a quart of wheat for one individual to eat on one day will cost the equivalent of a day's wage. One quart. Now, at times, over the years, we've seen inflation. Okay? We've seen it on milk. We've seen it on bread. We've seen it on bottled water. I mean, whoever thought we'd buy bottled water, right? Things like that. I mean, things that we buy now, things are constantly going up. The rent's going up. Amen right there. Uh, the, every, the, the food supplies are going up. Go, I'm going to go to Walmart here a little bit and get some supplies just for my kids for next week to take to school and just eat breakfast when they're not there all day, and I, I won't have hardly anything, and I'll spend two or $300. I won't have anything. I go in, and we get a bunch of stuff. We bring it home, and I unpack it, and I'm like, is that it? It's all you get. 
but not in comparison to a quart equals a day's wage. Let's say you made, let's say you worked eight hours a day, you made ten dollars an hour. Uh, you know, eighty dollars a day, eighty dollars for a quarter week if you made that much. You say, well, I'll be all right, I'll make $13 an hour. Come on, friend, you're missing the point, okay? It's going to cost you. All right, so allow for inflation, 32 quarts being a bushel, all right? It says, hurt not the oil and the wine, which gives us the indication for rich people, you know, that we, they've got the oil and the wine, but the rich people seem, you hope you don't have any. All right, the for rich people seems, hey, I'll do it, all right? Seems to be a class distinction favored during this famine. It hurts the common folks the most. All right, let's look at the next one. The fourth one, <clears throat> the last one, is the pale horse. Look at verse number 7, verses 7 and 8. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beast of the earth. So again, going back to Matthew, Mount Olive Discourse, he says two words as he says there'll be famine, and the next one is pestilence. Pestilence is new diseases, all right? Pale is the color and color steam of death, the color of corpses. So we have war, we have the white horse, Antichrist, he comes out, and then there's war, there's bloodshed, and then because those are called out, we have no one tending to the land, so then we have famine, we have inflation, and then with that ends, we have death. De death, this is the only horse rider that is named, and his name is death. We have, uh, and the Bible says, and hell followed him. So since hell and death, we must conclude that these who died during this seal, and this is tragic those who died during this seal are lost because folks when you're saved hell doesn't follow you heaven does these are people who are lost it's hard for me to believe and i'm going to show you here at the here in just a minute the conclusion of this you think people would cry out to god but they do not so death see claims the physical body but hell claims the soul for unlost people there are four weapons that are given to the pale horse rider and given unto death and these four weapons will kill and exterminate one-fourth of the world's population. One-fourth of the world's population. Modern-day estimates, this would be around one billion people. Not 1,000, not 100, not 1 million. One billion people will die under this one seal, this pale ride hoarder, uh, horse of death. One-fourth, approximately one billion people. Four ways. Number one, the Bible says by, by the sword. So one billion of those, out of those, some will die by the sword. They'll die by war. The, some of those one billion people, if you will, will die of hunger, will die of famine, the shortage of food and foodstuffs. Number three, there will be some of those one billion who will die by pestilences which we will refer to today as new diseases that have not yet happened. We see new diseases and viruses and so forth that come into our world today, such as AIDS, Ebola, etc. The fourth way, which would be kind of an unusual way that people, uh, one being of these people will die, will be, the Bible says, by the beast of the earth. So during that time, wild animals will go berserk, 
coming out of the woods, the forest, and attacking and killing people. And out of those four will be given by this pale horse four weapons to kill one-fourth of the entire world's population at that time. In conclusion, let me say these couple things. So great will be the destruction of human life in the day of the four seal that Hades, which is hell, will have to enlarge herself and open her mouth without measure as foretold in Isaiah chapter 5, verse number 14. The Bible says, Therefore hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure and their glory, and their multitude, and their pomp, and he that rejoiceth shall descend into it. Ezekiel chapter 14, verse number 21, For thus saith the Lord God, How much more when I send my four sore judgments upon Jerusalem, the sword, and the famine, and the noisome beast, and the pestilence, to cut all from it man and beast. One last thing I want to show you. You would think after all this that people would cry out to God. They would get saved. But the sad thing, they do not. These are what we call hardening judgments. They don't repent. They don't get right with God. In fact, it drives them farther into rebellion, farther into hatred for God. As we see, if you look at Revelation chapter 16, it says here during that time, well, actually look at verse 15. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains and said unto the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come. And what a great question they ask. And who shall be able to? To stand it. In other words, who shall be able to withstand it? Would you stand with me this morning at a time of invitation? These are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. They're going to be released. This is the initiation. We're right here at the beginning of the tribulation period. We've just begun. We've just started. Even with the fourth, we haven't even got through the seven seals yet, but just with the release of four seals, we're releases four horsemen will be one-fourth of the entire world's population will be destroyed in just four seals. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Are you saved today? Do you know Christ? I'm not asking you if you go to church. I'm not asking you if your name's on a church roll. I'm not asking you to baptize, capsize, signed a creed, shook the preacher's hand. In your heart of hearts, deep down inside, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you saved? And friend, if you're not, I fear for you. The Bible says not to fear man, but to fear uh, that man is able to destroy the body, but fear God who's able to destroy both body and soul in hell. And if you're here today, I'm not going to come to you and embarrass you, drag you down an aisle. You've, you've been warned to flee from the wrath to come. And if you're here today, you say, Pastor Toler, I'm not saved. And if I was to die right now, I'm not sure I'd be in heaven. But preacher, I want you to pray for me. Would you slip that hand up real quick, put it right back down. Preacher, pray for me. 
I'm not saved. I, I can't say with full assurance I will be there. I will be in heaven when the trumpet sounds. Are you ready, folks? Would you slip that hand up real quick? I'm not come to you, embarrass you, point you out, drag you down the aisle, anything like that. Just want to know how to pray for you more effectively. Right now, preacher, pray for me. What about others? Christian, are you living a life that you're ready to face God right now? Do you have family members, neighbors, those who are part of your network, whether it be your neighbors, family, friends, whatever it may be, that are not saved? Brother Jerry, could you help me about center here? Thank you. Oh, you're fine. Are you ready right now? Are you prepared? Perhaps this morning with heads bowed, eyes closed. You're a Christian. You're saved. You know the Lord Jesus. I'm not even going to ask you to come unless you feel led. But say, preacher, this morning by raising your hand, by acknowledging you're saying, preacher, that message really sober and very got me thinking about life and the hereafter. And you're saved. Made you think about the seriousness this thing is. You're a Christian. Would you raise your hand? Preacher, pray for me. I see hands going up all over the sanctuary. This thing's real. Our friends, our neighbors. You say, Pastor, why do you put out sermons on Facebook and YouTube? And why do you give out gospel tracts? And why do you tell others about Christ? Why do you use every means available to get out the gospel? Well, the reason that we do is we want the, warn those to flee the wrath to come so they don't have to go through this great time of tribulation, this great time of trouble, that they may go with us and be surrounded at the throne as soon as the trumpet sounds is our prayer, our desire. May we do all we can to get the gospel out to warn those of the great unveiling, the apocalypse to come, the apocalyptus of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Fathers, we come before you we pray we'll take these things and apply them to our hearts that we may be serious, sober-minded when it comes to serving God. That, Lord, we may realize the urgency, realize that we need to make decisions. And if, Lord, move forward with following you, we need to become a disciple. We need to take those next steps. We pray for those who may be under the sound of my voice that don't know you as Savior, that they'll be saved for it's everlasting and eternity too late. Pray for Christians that, Lord, you open their eyes to be able to see that, Lord, you promised in the beginning of the book of the Revelation that it is a blessing. Blessed is the man who readeth and heed the book of the Revelation is our prayer this morning. We ask it done in Jesus' name.